Jedi Squadron is a podcast run by the Anime Secrets website. Check us out at AnimeSecrets.org for more anime, video game, tokusatsu, and now Star Wars content. Remember to follow us on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, YouTube, or wherever you listen to podcasts today. Hello, new Padawans, and welcome to the Jedi Squadron podcast. Here, you will be taking lessons in the many pieces of the Star Wars universe, whether it be the movies, animated series, video games, comics, and etc. This is your training into becoming a Star Wars fan as part of the Jedi Squadron. May your training go well, and may the Force be with you, young Padawans. What is going on, Star Wars Nation? This is the Jedi Squadron Podcast, presented by AnimeSecrets.org. I am your host, Nathan Desai. And I am Rizwan Merchant. And today, as part of our little uh, build-up to uh, watching the Ahsoka series, we are going to be uh, reviewing the very last season of Star Wars Rebels, Season 4. Uh, before we get started, we do want to um, once again state that we are doing this at the time of the uh, SAG and Writers Guild strikes, and we want to uh, convey um, to the best of our abilities that we do support the strikes. And we are not doing this. We, you know, we are not being, you know, paid to promote any of this, and we're not doing this to promote anything related to Hollywood. We are doing this to show our support for the writers and actors without whose talents we would not have amazing shows such as Rebels. We want to make that clear. We support them. And we are reviewing this to show, bring awareness to the talent and hard work that they, not Hollywood, they give us. Here, here. So, so uh, season three uh, kind of wrapped up, um, well... Uh, Sabine, um, so big things that happened in season three was that we got more of a revelation on Sabine's backstory with her family on Mandalore. Uh, she left the team briefly, although she did return in the two-part finale to help uh, the rebels as they were fleeing uh, Adelon. Um, and uh, that pretty much brings us to where we are now, where uh, in season four, so we start off with, uh, like all rebel seasons, it starts off with like a two-part premiere which was kind of a hour-long tv special basically when it originally aired called uh heroes of mandalore where uh sabine and ezra you know they team up to uh basically help uh liberate mandalore from the empire uh, you know they free sabine's dad and uh ultimately uh it ends uh they do try to use the weapon that sabine created to uh to defeat them but in the end, they ultimately defeat the Imperials, and Sabine gives the uh, Darksaber to Bo-Katan, who makes an appearance here. Uh, she is once again voiced by uh, Katie Sackoff, who voiced her in The Clone Wars, and will go on to play her in live action in The Mandalorian. Which is but we'll get really awesome, because not many mm -hmm. actors get to be on the cartoon and in the animation. Well, okay, maybe there's a couple, but it's not very often that you see it, I think. I mean, the only other one I remember, uh, like I said, and her name escapes, uh, Genevieve O'Reilly now. Uh, she uh, she does the voice of Mon Mothma, and she also plays Mon Mothma in Rogue One. And Andor. And Andor. Okay. Well, yeah. And, yeah, and she was in Revenge of the Sith, but her scenes were cut where she talked playing Mon Mothma. So. That's tragic. I forget that happened. Yeah. 
Yeah, but I know that she was in the movie because I remember when I was a kid and I was always going to the store to look at Star Wars toys, there was always a toy of young Mon Mothma available to buy. And all the kids so, are like, who's Mon Mothma? Exactly. Um, words. Now, the bulk of this season, um, especially, you know, in the last couple of episodes, uh, pretty much so that... So it ends with Bo-Katan, that little arc, getting the Darksaber and becoming ruler of Mandalore. So that's the big thing. Uh, we um, So a big thing that comes up is that uh, Hera and Kanan are now kind of, well, they, there's been romantic hints about them in the past. But like here, it's clear that their feelings have gotten a lot stronger for them. Like I, that, I don't buy that. I'm sorry. Um, it's to me from like season one onwards, it wasn't just hinted that they were a couple. It was very obvious they were because I think at one point I remember Harris saying something like my love and the way they hold hands are like just intimate, non-sexual touching and like body language that they do. Mm-hmm. It it was never a question in my mind of are they together or not. It was just always a okay, they're together, cool. I mean, th- those are the vibes that I got. I didn't get it from season one that much. It was a bit better in seasons two and three, but even then, they came off as if like they genuinely liked each other yeah. in a romantic sense of the book that I read. So. I mean, that was good enough for me. Yeah, so I mean, they I don't care who says what. That part in season four does not mean that they just got together in season four. Mm-hmm. The, I, I view that scene more as Hera and Kanan are together, but the rebellion gave them very little them time to be a couple. And Mm -hmm. so they were not arguing about being in a relationship. They were arguing about how much time could they commit to each other while in a relationship, while dealing with the rebellion. Mm -hmm. So those are my two cents. Yeah. So a couple of other things. Uh, The Rebels have set up their base on the fourth moon of Yavin, Yavin 4, which is the same base that we see uh, the Rebels at um, in A New Hope. In fact, General Jan Dodonna makes a couple of appearances. Uh, We get this other two-parter where uh, I believe it was, uh, yes, it was uh, Sabine and uh, Ezra. They get tangled in a little mission with uh, Saw Gerrera. And we actually find out that... uh, uh, and here, here's actually a crazy thing. I think this episode does establish it. Apparently, the Death Star Super Laser is powered by a giant kyber crystal, which in the Star Wars canon is the same energy source that they use to uh, to make to power lightsabers. They're called kyber crystals. So that's pretty insane. It um, is. I mean, I just want to know where they found a kyber crystal that big. Yeah. And then we, uh, um, so there's a huge arc about, um, so first of all, there's a little side plot of, 
um, Grand Admiral Thrawn trying to create his own TIE fighter program called TIE Defenders, which proved to be kind of a pain for them to deal with. But uh, we get this big arc where the gang returns to Lothal. Like, they want to liberate Lothal, and all of their missions keep failing, and the Rebellion, you know, doesn't want to commit a lot of resources to Lothal because they don't view it as strategically important. And... uh, Hera gets captured when, you know, a squadron of X-Wings that she leads um, to attack, like, you know, they all get shot down and they all crash and she gets captured. Um, And at the same time, Kanan is uh, speaking with, um, you know, develops this connection with these creatures called Lothwolves, which are like, you know, there's like a mysterious connection between with them. And ultimately, after giving himself a complete makeover, like he shaves his head off, basically, and shaves his beard, uh, he goes to save Hera. And, you know, Hera and Kanan admit that they love each other, and they kiss. And then, unfortunately, in uh, what is, pro- in my opinion, the most emotional death in any of these Star Wars animated shows, and I've seen... Okay, I haven't seen Resistance, but I highly doubt Resistance is going <laughs> to... Give me anything this emotional. Uh, keep in mind, I have seen Clone Wars all the way through. I have seen both seasons of Bad Batch. And they have some emotional stuff. But, like, so what happens is that they're trying, is that they're waiting on an oil refinery to be picked up by Sabine and Ezra. And then uh, Price orders her walker to shoot at it which causes a huge explosion and Kanan uses the force to hold the fire back long enough for uh, Hera and the other people to get away. But of course he can't save himself. So he gets engulfed in the fire and he dies. Yeah. That was Uh, a very distraught scene for me. Like, and I love how they do, the audio with that like you know they just cut out the audio and have like the like the emotion in Hera's face like just horrified was just like that was a very scarring scene to be honest it was and like the emotion behind it's even worse and I think the most emotion for me is twofold one is Hera's reaction but then Zeb when Ezra can finally get the words out later back at, uh, like their base on Lothal and Zeb hugs him. That was another really big moment for like mm-hmm. that death. So speaking of Kanan's death, let's backtrack real quick to something I thought was kind of interesting. Yeah. Um, you mentioned it already, but I want to give it more context. Mm-hmm. So Kanan altered his appearance basically in the last two episodes he was there. Like, mm-hmm. he didn't have this look for another mission or anything before that. Literally, he got the look, went to fight, and he died. And the way he looked is kind of reminiscent of how the Jedi kind of are supposed to be resembling like how they look. So Mm -hmm. I think this was a symbolic last transition to uh, Kanan being a full Jedi again. 
and like maybe not the rank of master, but definitely he was up there in the ranks. Mm-hmm. I don't know if I'd grant him to rank a master. I'm trying to decide that right now. I, the way that he went out, I think he's good enough to be considered a master. Yeah. Well, not only that, but how many Jedi do you know that can basically force sealed an explosion that big from an oil refinery? I think maybe Luke would be able to do that, possibly. I think uh, Obi-Wan could have done it. I don't know about Luke. Maybe Luke after Return of the Jedi, but not yeah. but not Luke in the first two movies in that trilogy. Oh, of course not. And I think Anakin could have done it as well, but I don't think Yeah. I don't think like your normal everyday Jedi could have done it. Like um, like I don't know if I were to pick some random Jedi, like I don't know Kiati Mundi, maybe he wouldn't be able to do that. No, I don't know. I mean, they don't really develop. They don't really develop Kiati Mundi in the Clone Wars, so I don't know how powerful he is. But... Okay, Depa Balaba, that's a good example, I think. Yeah, yeah. I don't think she could have done it. I don't think. I think Mace Windu could have done it. Mm-hmm. I think for certain, Ahsoka after Rebels could have done it too. Or like mm-hmm. during Rebels, you could have done it. But yeah, no, this is not something that you would see a normal everyday person just do. Mm-hmm. But uh, the, the big things about uh, the rest of his story is that um, so Ezra. Um, you know, shortly after Kanan's death, uh, he and Sabine infiltrate a an Imperial base where they're trying to uncover this, like, hidden temple, which is based off of uh, the Mortis uh, art. Like, the Mortis characters, we saw those in uh, the Clone Wars, one of the best uh, Clone Wars episodes ever. And uh, that allows uh, Ezra to enter through a portal and... I'm guessing, like, it. this part always kind of confused me. Like, I guess they kind of established that technically Ahsoka died in the, in the Sith Temple on Malachor when she was fighting Vader, but Ezra's able to, like, you know, use this portal in the temple to, like, pull her out to save her and, you know, and prevent her from dying. Am I getting that right, Riz? It's very Back to the Future. In my opinion. Okay. So, Ahsoka died in the main mm-hmm. canon universe, right? But yes. when Ezra reached through the portal in the World Between Worlds to save her, I don't want to say he made a new timeline or a new dimension or whatever you want to call it, but he definitely altered history in that moment because Ahsoka died and then she came back. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, she also technically died in the Mortis arc during the Clone Wars, and then got resurrected. Yeah. So, so she has some protections on her. I feel like. Yeah. But uh, Ahsoka gets saved, and then they return, and basically the last two episodes are just uh, a huge battle where they um, 
where they infiltrate the main Imperial base. Uh, Ezra once again summons the space well creatures that we met, yep. and I think it was season two that we saw them, and yeah. uh, and they drive off Thrawn and his forces, but Ezra disappears, and uh, the um, Price gets killed. Not that I really care. She's she's so boring. See, she's uh, not boring. She had a role, and she filled the role really well. And that role is, I am the perfect example of an Imperial soldier in the Empire's army. I follow mm-hmm. orders, I do what I'm told, and it's all for the glory and honor of the Empire. Yeah, I guess I could see what you're saying. So I wouldn't say that she's boring. I mean, yeah, she is kind of dull, but definitely there's a reason for it, I feel like. Uh, we do get this really cool epilogue where, uh, you know, it's um, we can assume, uh, I mean, it takes place like several years because the epilogue takes place uh, after the Battle of Endor, mm-hmm. where, you know, the Empire has been defeated based on what Sabine says. Uh, we find out that, uh, um, so apparently uh, Zeb and Callus both made a journey to Lyrasan where, you know, Callus, you know, felt redemption because he apparently did not wipe out all the Lasats, which was pretty cool. That was heartwarming. Uh, Hera and Rex apparently fought on the Battle of Endor, which... It confirms I, a long-standing fan theory, and I'm so happy for it. Well, do, well, okay, we'll talk about the Rex and Endor thing in a second, because yeah. there's still some debate over that. Uh, although, I wonder how Hera fought. Like, was she a fighter pilot? I think or? so. Okay. But then I wonder who... Which what she could have been flying because she the, the only thing i know is that like if we're if we're going to go off those fighters that can't that followed lando into the uh lando and wedge into the exhaust shaft like she can't there was one y-wing and she can't be that y-wing pilot because there's a book that i've read that confirms that the y-wing pilot was a woman that gets married to wedge a little bit later spoiler alert on that but those books are lame anyway um i mean and is it possible she married Weds? I don't think so. No, no, no. The because the they give the name of that pilot. Oh, okay, okay. Like she's a major character, so I guess she had to be one of the A wings. I guess I could see her flying an A wing. I mean, she could have also been a ghost, like piloting her ghost, but it's just off screen. We never saw it. Yeah, that's true. Uh, she and Kanan apparently had a child named Jason. I have so many thoughts on that, but we're going to get to that when we get to that. I love the name that they give it. I love the name that they give this child, though, because that um, in the Legends continuity, Han and Leia have uh, three kids. Uh, They have twins, uh, a boy and a girl. The girl's name is Jaina, and the guy's name is Jason. So Mm -hmm. I like how they use that name again. And for those curious who don't know Legends, uh, their third child... uh, they name after uh, Leia's father. His name is Anakin Solo. So, oh lord, um, yeah. Although apparently uh, Han wanted to call him Han Solo Junior, but of course he did. Like that. <laughs> um, he did. 
so that happens, and the um, it ends with Ahsoka showing up on Lothal and recruiting Sabine in scenes that were actually seen in the Ahsoka trailer. So we can assume that Ahsoka is going to pick up after this. And I guess we could assume also that like everything that we've seen of live action Ahsoka, like her encountering Mando and Grogu on, I can't remember the name of that planet, but it was the, it was uh, the episode where, but it was an episode of season two of Mandalorian where we find out what Grogu's real name is. And uh, I'm guessing also her briefly encountering Mando and meeting Luke on that planet in the book of Boba Fett. I, I guess that's already happened. It, it has. That's but... been confirmed already. Okay. So this takes place, I think, after season three of Mando. Mm-hmm. And the way I understand how this all fits together is they're trying to make... So obviously we're in a connected dimension with like a universe with Disney's canon. But Mm -hmm. Disney was trying to create some kind of MCU type thing. But the fandom has been calling this the Mandoverse. So Mandalorian, Book of Boba Fett, Ahsoka. I think, correct me if I'm wrong, but the skeleton crew is a part of it as well. I need to, I think so. I need to double check that. I, I I can't remember. I don't even remember like what the skeleton crew is. To be quite honest, because I am way more excited for Ahsoka than I am for that. Uh Yeah, it's in the same time frame as Mandalorian and it's after the events of Return to the Jedi. The premise is a series follows four kids who end up on an adventure to make their home after being lost in the galaxy following a discovery they make on their home planet. Yeah, I got nothing. Okay. But 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 the point is that we can assume that the Ahsoka that we see at the end, she's already met uh, Din and she's already met yeah. Grogu and uh, all that. So yeah. And here she is now recruiting Sabine to, uh, to go and find Ezra. So, yeah. And... How is that going to work out? Well, we'll find out when we see Ahsoka. <laughs> we'll find out so. in, uh, let's see, I think next week. Yeah, next week, mm-hmm. next Wednesday. It's time, baby. Yeah. Um, to kind of uh, talk about my overall thoughts of uh, season four of Rebels, uh, like, just to kind of begin in and, you know, I'll go into more detail. Like I, so I was hyped to watch this season because as you may remember in our previous podcast, like I loved season three, like yeah. season three was perfect in my opinion. Like there was literally nothing wrong with it. And I, I feel like I, I and this may spoil what I'm going to give it at the end. Like I got a lot of what I wanted from season four, but I feel like I got like 80% of what I wanted. Like, I don't know. Like they're just like, when the season is great, it's good. But there's some cases where I, I don't know, like it, it didn't feel like, 
it didn't feel like this was as good as season three, I guess you could say. And it had some big shoes to fill. And I think it tried its best. And that's why I'm not going to give it a low grade or anything. But it, I don't think it fully filled the shoot, lived up to like the same hype as its predecessor did. I, I understand where you're coming from. So my... Okay, so there are definitely episodes in Dispatch that I really like a lot. Um, mm-hmm. For example, Heroes of Mandalore is really good. The In the Name of the Rebellion is also pretty good. Um, not as impactful to me, I think, as like the stuff we had in season three, but it's still a pretty good, um, still a pretty good story. I didn't really care for all the TIE Defender stuff that was going on. Like, okay, cool. You got a new TIE Defender. It's not really ever seen again, I don't think, after Rebels. So, whoop-dee-doo, Thrawn. You didn't accomplish anything here. Good job. Yeah. Um, I don't know. What do you think about Rook? I want to ask that. About who? Rook. Was he the guy that Thrawn hires at the end? Thrawn's pet, the hunter. Yeah, he. Well, he didn't really leave much of an impact on me. Like he was just like this tough villain that they had to face every once in a while, and yeah, he didn't. I don't know. Like he, he could have been so much better. Like okay, yeah. it, hear me out. Here, here's a better idea. Instead of having him. Why didn't we get Cad Bane? Yeah, I've... Cad Bane would have been a much better bounty hunter, tracker type person, in my opinion. And I kind of wish that, like, maybe that could have been the end of him. Like, don't get me wrong. Seeing him in live action in Book of Boba Fett was cool from a novelty standpoint, but I kind (laughs) of think that... But... But I don't like how he went out in Book of Boba Fett. It would have been much better to just bring him here and like have him be defeated here or something like that. I have a ton of opinions on Book of Boba Fett with regards to that, which I will save for mm-hmm. whenever you and I get to the Book of Boba Fett, whenever it happens to be, like in the next year or two. Yeah. But... No, definitely, I have a lot of opinions there, and some of them are good, some of them are bad. <laughs> yeah. Um, but, yeah, I really wish that but Rook, Cadman was brought but, back on the show. Like, so we had this great villain, Thrawn, right? Like, he was a great villain all throughout. He never once faltered in the quality of writing. Mm-hmm. But then, he has this weak, weak person, Rook. And we're all just left kind of wondering, or at least I'm left wondering, why did we need him? Like, I understand he was there to increase the threat factor, but I don't think he was really all that interesting because we don't know much about him. Nope. So that's the complaint I have with the season is that we're given a new character with no real backstory 
And mind you, mm-hmm. this is a series writ in character backstory. Even AP5, who, by the way, does not appear a single time nope. in season four, he was better written than Rook, in my opinion. Mm-hmm. So, I don't know. I just have a lot of opinions on that. I, I think Rook was a mistake. I mean, this season, in my opinion, like, I have a similar issue with, like, season six of Clone Wars. Like, okay, I like both of these seasons. Like, they're both great, and they both have a lot of amazing moments. But I look at the seasons that came before. Like, in the case of Clone Wars season five, uh, they gave us, like, the big arc where Maul takes over Mandalore, and, you know, Obi-Wan goes through the emotion of seeing Satine die. And then right after we go through all those emotions, the season says, you know what? I don't think I've screwed with your emotions hard enough. I'm going to give you an arc where Ahsoka gets framed and it ends with her walking away from the Jedi Temple. And it's like, like I, I was not okay after I watched that whole season. Like I, I needed to take like a break for a week after Clone Wars. And then when I watched season six, I liked it, but it wasn't as heavy as the previous season. And it's similar with uh, with season four of Rebels. Like, season three left me with a bunch of things that, like, you know, Sabine's big story arc and, you know, the penultimate episode is the whole thing with Obi-Wan, which is one of my favorite things. Like, I... This season gives me a lot of good things, but... It just feels overshadowed with how heavy its predecessor was, if that makes sense. I think part of the complaint I would hold here is... You're right. It's not as story-driven, right? Like, there's a lot of stuff kind of left to be desired. Mm -hmm. But in the defense of Season 4, we do have some nice callbacks and some nice story arcs that I feel like we need to give more attention to. Um, Mm -hmm. One of my... I wouldn't call this my favorite part of season four, but definitely something I greatly enjoyed was the Bo-Katan story and all the stuff with, like, Sabine's parents and just digging into that and Sabine finally atoning for whatever happened in the past. I thought that was all really good, top-tier stuff. I also liked the uh, the arc with the uh, World Between Worlds, where, you know, Ezra goes out there and he starts walking around and he can hear Star Wars history all around him, past, present, and future. And so far into the future that we actually hear Ray from the sequel trilogy in the background. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I remember hearing that. That was pretty cool. Yeah, so I thought they did some pretty good stuff here. Um, I kind of, like, to kind of make that a little bit more interesting would have been if they had animated more of the callbacks to those moments and sewn them as, like, different doors that Ezra walked by. Like, maybe a door with Anakin and Ahsoka, where Ahsoka's walking away from the Order. Maybe a door mm-hmm. with 
Ray doing whatever Ray did in the sequel trilogy. Um, I don't know. Maybe a door where uh, showing Obi Wan and Qui Gon's duel with Maul. Or... Yeah, I mean, we could have gotten something really good there, but we're left with you know we're left with voices, and the voices are fine. It it gives the the meaning is conveyed pretty well, mm-hmm. but there's still stuff left to be desired, and I think it pulls down my it doesn't pull down my appreciation but it does pull down my i don't know like this is definitely not a 10 out of 10 for me you know no it's not i and i'm i still what do you because maybe you can help me figure this out because i really don't know how i feel what do you think of how it ends with ezra like basically infesting Thrawn's ship with the Purgles and then like, and then like just taking him out into space. They're called Purgles, right? Yeah. Okay. I, okay. I was going to ask you the same thing actually, because here's my problem. And I'm hoping somebody who hears this can explain it to me. But if you can, I mean, but my my issue here is I 100% loved Ezra calling the Purgles in to finish it off. I thought yeah. that was a really good gambit move on his part. My confusion comes with the Purgles had their limbs tied around Thrawn. Thrawn wasn't going anywhere. Why didn't Ezra escape? Like, I understand they were showing him using the Force to hold Thrawn in place, but do you really think Thrawn was capable of explaining that grip? I mean, this is Thrawn. You can't underestimate him at all. Well, and that's what I was thinking. That was my only justification, is that Ezra wanted to make darn certain Thrawn would not be a threat. But I don't know. I mean, I'm just looking forward to seeing like how all of this, like, you know, because Thrawn is still very clearly alive. We've seen him in a bunch of Ahsoka trailers now. So, well, I'm wondering how that whole ordeal went down. Well, okay. So this all ended in 2018 for me the first time. Mm-hmm. So I've been waiting since 2018 for this moment to get Ahsoka to answer the question of, what the heck were they trying to convey to me about why Ezra did what he did at the end? Yeah. Like, I understand he's the hero. He has to do something heroic and sacrifice a good trope for heroes. But literally, he could have escaped, I feel. But the one reason they didn't let him escape is then you have to write right away how we had another Jedi in the Rebellion who didn't come into contact with Luke at any point. Yeah. So that's why his escape with Thrawn is more interesting, is because the writers had no choice. They had to get her to Ezra and Kanan before the original trilogy events began. And there should also be an explanation on like why the 
arguably the Empire's most intelligent and best officer is also out of commission for this entire war. Yeah. Yes, I mean, no, it's definitely... It's definitely a thing. Um, My assumption is... And maybe I'm wrong. But either the Pergil took Ezra and Thrawn to some remote location in the galaxy that nobody really knows about. And the ships were damaged because of the Pergil. And so they were stranded there for years until somebody found him. Or possibly they were just taken out in a wild space, which is like Consider like the reaches beyond the galaxy in Star Wars lore. Yeah. So now, do you remember in Mandalorian when we talk about? I think it was in season three, at around the midway point. There's a scene where we see the crime syndicate discussing Thrawn. Remember that? I think so. Yeah. Okay. So in that scene, they're implying Thrawn is coming back. So if that's the tr- if that's the case, and if Ahsoka is set after Mando season three, then that means that it was already known that Thrawn survived and they found him, and they're just waiting for him to come back. I guess that's possible. So they don't really. Yeah, like we don't know what happened to Ezra really. Like he might have just ended up being the prisoner of Thrawn after everything is said and done, you know? Mm hmm. Well, I'm really looking forward to seeing how that story turns out. Yeah, me too. I mean, it that that's more interesting to me. Okay, so to answer your question, now that I think about it more, now that I've kind of voiced it, out loud season four is great as a transitionary i'm hoping for ahsoka because it posed the big question we needed for ahsoka's tv show to make sense yeah like from 2018 until now we have all in the fandom been expecting Ahsoka to at some point find Ezra in the future. And the sequel trilogy didn't answer it. Because we don't see Ahsoka. We don't see uh, Ezra. There's no mention of any of that stuff. So it was a big mystery, at least to me, to figure out, well, what ended up happening to Ezra? That's like one of the most tragic tales that nobody's trying to answer. Mm-hmm. So getting the answer has been really nice to me. Yeah. So here's a question for you, and to kind of mm-hmm. get back on form with how we do this podcast, what was your favorite set of episodes or favorite episode in season four? I I did like the Mandalorian two-parter that that was obviously just great at I, I there's there's literally um a part in the uh in the episode uh that i don't know if it was intentional or not but there's like a scene where 
uh, Ezra opens a door to see like the big battle between the Empire and like some of the Mandalorian forces. It's meant to, it looks very similar to a shot from an, I can't remember what season it was, but it was a shot where Obi-Wan opens a door to see like a huge civil war erupting on Mandalore. It, you know, it just reminded me so much of that. Like it was almost like a complete shot, like recreation. So that was amazing. And, you know, seeing Bo-Katan come back was great because, you know, she's a great character and, you know, I really enjoyed her in the Clone Wars. Um, so I would say that, um, but I would, pr I probably also just, you know, really liked, uh, you know, the scenes where, you know, Hera has been captured and, uh, and like all of Kanan's moments, especially just before, uh, he dies like him with Hera, like hit, like, I, I love the part where he gives Hera back her, I can't remember what it was called, but it was the like Calicor. the room that. Yeah, that Thrawn stole from her. Yeah. Like, you know, Hera says, like, you know, we you haven't given me a present since the first day we met, which kind of reminds me of a moment in A New Dawn. Like, you know, that was kind of a very uh, slight reference to the book. I love that. And, like, I don't know. Like, Hera, like, Hera and Kanan were just, like, absolutely precious this season, which makes his death a lot more gut-wrenching in my opinion but agreed uh but yeah th that's mostly what i like um the, the those what so basically the whole uh you know kanan and you know freeing hera and then like the mandalorian two part those would be my top two favorites yeah what about you um so the mandalorian opening two up two parter was really one of my favorite things like you um I also was a very big fan of A World Between Worlds and um, the episodes that kind of led up to it because I really like the uh, the Mortis Gods story. And while you don't see the Mortis Gods really interact with anyone, just seeing more of the Clone Wars storylines kind of come back and be relevant again is nice because you don't really see many other big overt mentions to the Mortis gods beyond the owl following Ahsoka around in Mando. Mm -hmm. So I thought that was a pretty cool thing as well. Um, I, I think, in my opinion, the best episode out of season four is Jedi Knight where Kanan sacrifices himself to save Hera and Ezra and the rest yes. of them. That, to me, stands out as the best, because that was, like you and I both said, a very emotional, draining episode. So I, I think that's, the, that's my award for best episode, is that one right there. Yep. I mean... What what else are you gonna say is the best from uh, from uh, this season? It's there ain't gonna be anything to do with Thrawn um, building a Tide Defender. I I don't know. I'm yeah. giving him a lot of crap for that, but only thing I know that the Tide Defender really ends up amounting to uh, is that like the book that I'm currently reading, which I need to get back to because I want to finish that soon. Uh, 
Shadow of the Sith. Like there's this uh, there's this character who's like a she's not a Sith herself. She's been possessed by like the spirit of a Sith. Like she uses a Tie Defender as her own personal ship, but like. That's the most I think the Tide Defender ends up amounting to in the history as of the Star Wars universe. Yeah, I mean, if okay, a better thing to have done if Filoni and company had more insight and foresight into what they were doing, they would have not introduced Tie Fighters in the first three seasons of Rebels. Yeah, and they would have had Thrawn invent the TIE fighters that we know from the original trilogy. Yeah, like, you could still have, uh, like, I don't know, like, they could still be using V-Wings, because V-Wings were basically the main fighters that the Empire used before the TIE fighters came along. Exactly. So, that would have made what Thrawn did a bit more impactful, in my opinion, to the rest of the franchise and beyond. Mm Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I definitely think it, okay, I'm going to stop stuttering here and just say there are definitely things that I feel like they could have done a lot better here, but overall, I will say I enjoyed season four. Um, I thought it was pretty well done. We did get some nice moments with returning characters even minor returning characters that I didn't expect to see again. Mm-hmm. Like I wasn't expecting to see um, Sabine's friend. Uh, what's her name? Yeah, her name escapes me at the moment too. The the Mando friend of hers or whatever. Like I didn't expect to see her. I didn't expect to have the detail of. Okay, I expected Honda to come back at some point. Yeah, I didn't expect Melts to come back again. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it was nice that they had all these characters come back because it kind of showed Ezra's impact on different characters throughout. Because all of these characters came back to help Lothal because of Ezra, with like maybe two exceptions, and that exception. Number one is Sabine's friend. Uh, the other one I would kind of lean on as another exception to that rule. I kind of feel like Wolf and... What's the other clone? Ryder. Ryder. Gregor. Yeah. I kind of feel like they didn't come back for Ezra per se, but because Rex asked them to. Yeah. But it was still really cool to see them come back and do one last hurrah. Mm-hmm. So, uh, speaking of Rex, you know, we should probably talk about that theory that we brought up. Uh, yeah. You want to talk about that right now? Yeah, let's do it. Yeah. So, okay. They kind of, uh, so Sabine says that Rex fought in the Battle of Endor. And if you watch Return of a Jedi, you'll notice that one of the rebel soldiers um, that's part of the strike team that Han puts together to attack the shield generator. And it's, probably the easiest to see like during the shot where like uh where han like lures the one scout trooper guarding the bunker uh into it like there is an old 
elderly bearded guy who looks a kind of like Rex's design in Rebels as part of the crew. And that's led a lot of people to think, okay, so Dave Filoni says that Rex fought in the Battle of Endor, and here's a guy who looks a little bit like how Rex would look like at the time. <laughs> Is this Rex? Now, now the funny thing, now, apparently the some official canon has this character's name. At, his name is uh, Nick Sant. The funny thing is, is that, so here's a quote from uh, Dave Filoni on like this interview. So he says, quote, I think the one thing I have really thought about is I really do think that Rex is that guy on Endor. I really do. Why else is there a bearded old guy on Endor, Tano? Why? It makes no sense. If you don't want that to happen, do you know what that means? I'm going to make that happen. I'm getting like Palpatine. I'm getting power crazy, unquote. <laughs> so now apparently he decided at the last minute that he didn't want to officially canonize Rex being Nixant, but because he thought that like it wasn't right for him to like retcon things, but He's apparently left it open. Like, he hasn't said that Rex isn't that guy in Return of a Jedi. So he basically leaves it open for fans to decide if that guy is just some random dude named Nick Sant or if he's Rex. Like, that's up for the fans to decide. Yeah. Now, here's the question. Because I didn't know that that character had a name prior to right now. What... What establish the name what book what tv show what thing do we know by chance or so i'm looking at wikipedia and uh it says that um so he was apparently first identified as nick Sant in a magazine um called the official star wars fact file so that's where he officially got his name. Uh, I mean, he, like, you know, Star Star Wars is, in the Legends continuity, it's really weird. Like, you might find these random pilot characters that you only see their face for, like, two seconds in the movie. But then there's books that, like, give, like, a huge elaborate backstory on these characters. He's not one of them. Uh, they just give him the, uh, the, uh, he was just given the name Nick Sant from a, uh, from a magazine thing that like gives names to like different characters. And I guess they just carried through with that name into the canon. If that makes sense. So it's part of the canon because it came out in 2022. Man, mm -hmm. I really don't like that. I was hoping you're going to tell me this is something pre-Disney that we had to name Nick Sant from. Uh, this makes it harder. No, it is pre-Disney. Well, okay. No, so it was I'm a really... pre-Disney name. It came out in like the set. It it was something that came out like. Hold on. Like, th this was like an O. This was like an OT era, um, like OT and like maybe early prequel era magazine thing that came out before Disney bought the franchise. That's interesting because I'm looking at uh, Star Wars fandom, which is not the Wikipedia, but you know, nonetheless. It says um, he was first identified in 
Star Wars Fact File 44 and... Uh, oh, you know what? I'm an idiot. You're right. It's just 2002, not 2022. Carry yeah. on. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry, guys. I, mean, I that, can't read. That's all that I... That's all that I can say, though, for that, that, you know, they, that he was just given a name in, you know, the Legends continuity. And, yeah. you know, there's a, there's, and I don't know, the canon, uh, the canon tends to respect established characters in Star Wars where they just don't want to change any names. Um, so I guess that's just what they did. Yeah, no, definitely. I think in this case, we have the very good strong case here that this is Rex because guess what? Mm-hmm. Disney owns Star Wars now and if Filoni wants to call that Rex and there's no other primary canon thing saying it's not Rex, then it's Rex. No, no, no. Just thinking about Rex, you know, finding on Endor is just an awesome idea. It is because it gives him some finality that at least one clone trooper made it long enough to see this entire prolonged war end. Because truly, you know, clone wars ended, but they didn't really end because there was no real winner. But the final winner Mm -hmm. came out when Palpatine lost. And so yeah. having a clone see that and finally feel like the war is over, that's a pretty good idea to me. But at the end of the day, Dave Filoni has just said, if you want to believe that Rex is Nick Sant, go ahead. Yeah. If you don't, you don't have to. I, I just want to choose to, to believe that it's Rex. Yeah, I mean, why wouldn't you? Yeah. Um. Is there really anything to talk about with Zeb this season? Because I don't think we mentioned Zeb by name even once. I did. <laughs> well, okay. Yeah, I think you did once. I mentioned but... Zeb once and he hugged Ezra. Right. But no, there's nothing really with Zeb that really happened. Um, He's just a good character to have in the, in the background supporting everyone else. Like, mm-hmm. he had his moment in the sun with him and Callus, and I think that touch at the end where Callus and him go to the planet of the Lasat, I think that's good enough for me. Yeah. I mean, I, I still need to finish uh, Mandalorian season three. I do know that he's in an episode in live action because mm-hmm. unfortunately I follow some accounts that spoil that stuff for me. But, uh, but you know, I'm, I, I hope that we'll see more of like what he's up to. I, I think it's just a cameo in the Mandalorian episode. But... He's, he's there for like a minute. Okay, well, he still, I mean... He's literally there, he talks to a guy, and then, yeah, that's it. Okay, well, I hope to see him a lot more in uh, Ahsoka then. Yeah, no, definitely. Although I love how they make him look, because uh, in the Mandalorian, just kind of a side note, like he literally looks like... Uh, like the same design as um, uh, in in Fallen Order, uh, we see a Lasat. He's kind of a big character. I'm not going to spoil it because Riz is still playing the game. Uh, but he looks exactly like the Lasat that appears in that video game. Yeah. So that was pretty cool. Um, 
what did we think of? I mean, I don't think Agent Cowles does much this season either. Um, I just like seeing Callus as a good guy, like a for real good guy. Yes. Mm-hmm. Um, he doesn't have any like major story or things that he does, but it is nice to see him continue down that journey from Imperial guy to turn cloak fulcrum to being full out. I'm a rebel. Hear me roar kind of thing, you know? Yeah. Uh, what about, uh, we, um, what are your thoughts on Sabine this season? Sabine continues to grow. I feel Mm-hmm. Even when Sabine's not like the critical part of a scene, she's still pretty important to what's going on around us, in my opinion. And I can say that with confidence because she has a lot more screen time with Ezra this season than she did in the past. Like, the two of them have gone off, like, I think three times this season to do something together while Hera, Kanan, and Zeb do rebellion stuff. Yeah. And, you know, Kanan's there for the Mandalore stuff, but there's a lot of scenes where Sabine is just, you know, either she's dealing with her family or she's trying to figure out what did Ezra mean by... Um, he trusted her to help. Like, what? What is? What is he expecting her to do? Kind of thing, you know. Yeah. So it's interesting. I don't know. I don't know what more I can say beyond the fact that I think this is just more good Sabine writing, in my opinion. Yeah, and I'm looking forward to seeing Sabine in live action and just you know doing her thing in a uh, Ahsoka. Yeah, I have a lot of questions about Sabine in the Ahsoka TV show. But that'll be something we touched on at the end of the podcast, I feel. Yeah. Because I have questions that I want to get your take on. Mm-hmm. Uh, what do you think of Hera? I mean, like I said, she and Kanan are adorable this season. And, you know, I love seeing how, like, I loved their little connection. Like, I mean, it's hard to talk about Hera without also bringing up Kanan. Like... Yeah, you know they, because I mean they they've been through a lot. I mean I I know their original adventure together since I read the book, mm-hmm. which was already really really big. So I mean, it's so I know more of like what they've gone through and I and outside of you know just the show. And yeah. I'm sure there's comics that might revolve around their life before that too. And if there's not, well then somebody needs to get up on that. Get on that um, Disney. We need more content um, these two. But, you know, I, you know, her, I kind of, I thought it was really funny when, like, you know, she gets injected with this toxin that's supposed to, like, screw her up. And then she, like, sees Kanan outside and she's like, <laughs> Kanan's going to come in and he's, like, going to just totally, like, Dude, you up. You guys are in, like, so much trouble, man. That was the best like, part of it, in my opinion. Yeah. Which, which makes it all the more powerful where she says... She tells Kanan that she loves him, and then Kanan is all like, "Are you sure that's not the toxin talking?" <laughs> like it, it might be. 
No, no, that that was real. I know, I know that. I know, I know that was real. It's just funny to see yeah. that. Yeah. No, I, I wish we could have seen more drunk Hera on the show. No, she's just funny like that. My my next question may not be one hundred percent age appropriate for this podcast, but I'm still gonna ask it. When did Kanan and Hera have time to sneak away for like a minute or two to create the baby? Like, I don't know because I've been wondering that too. Because they're right, like the episode prior to all of this stuff happening with Hera being kidnapped and all that, Hera and Kanan are talking about how they've had a lack of intimacy and. They've been so, you know, involved in the rebellion that Hera hasn't even had a chance to think about what life after rebellion really means, and that hurt Kanan. But yeah. before the two of them can really talk about it, I think I think it was Zeb and Sabine that kind of ruined the moment for them. Yeah. Like, the, the rest of the team ruined the moment, and then they got called into action. Like, there is no time there. And there was no time in Kanan's rescue. So my only explanation is that this happened in the in the background prior to all this stuff. Because that's the only way it makes sense to me. Mm-hmm. Well... Maybe we'll get an ex. Maybe they'll try to explain like what happened in Ahsoka. I, I doubt it, but I know Hera is in Ahsoka. And by the way, in in the live action show, she's apparently being played by the. I don't know if they're married or not, but th- she's at least dating Ewan McGregor. So, oh really? That's really in- yeah. The woman that plays Hera in the new show. Now, so. my other question, and this is totally age appropriate. But I didn't know that you could have inner race unions that could produce a child, like humans and Twilight's in this example. No, they, they did that in the Clone Wars. Remember there was a clone that deserted? Uh, his name was Cut. Yeah, Cut's in um, Bad Bats. Yeah, he, he had kids in the Bad Bats. Yeah, with a Twilight. Yeah. Well... Okay, so I said that, but then I hadn't watched Bad Bats until, like, last night. Yeah, but Cut was in the Clone Wars, too. Yeah, I, like, I forgot I forgot the entire storyline happened, though. I, I can't remember what episode it was, but, like, I can't remember what planet, but I do know that, like, um, there was a point where, like, Rex got, like, maybe it was... No, I don't think it could have been Felucia, but... Uh... But, like, Rex got, like, cut off from, like, Jesse and a few other clones. And I think Fives was the other guy. And mm-hmm. he meets with Cut. So Cut was in... I know Cut was in the Bad Batch, but he originally appeared in Clone Wars. Yeah. I, I mean, I'm just more curious, like, what would a, what would a human and a Wookiee hybrid look like? We're not going there. Okay, okay. <laughs> There are some things we just don't need to know. I mean, there are some things where I could see things like working out fine, like um, like 
uh, I don't know how to pronounce this alien race, but uh, I think they're called Syrians. That's the race that uh, Kiati Mundi is. Oh, okay. Yeah, that could be... Where they look human, but they have a slightly larger head because they have bigger brains. Like, they're, they're not... Like, Kiati Mundi is not considered a human. Yeah. No, he's so. not. He's a conehead. Yeah, exactly. Well, yeah, but the official name is Assyrian. I know. Uh, or, or Kyrian. I don't know how to pronounce... I don't know what the C pronunciation is. But, yeah, uh, I, I just found it interesting because it's not something I thought about very much prior. Mm-hmm. Especially in 2018 when I was still very new to things in Star Wars beyond the movies. Yeah. Like, you know, at that point, I had seen all the Clone Wars, I'd seen all the Rebels, but I didn't have that background that you had with the novels prior in the Extranded Universe. Yeah. Or, sorry, the Legends Universe, whatever you want to call it. Yeah. So, yeah, that, that, it just, it makes sense. I understand it. I just thought it was kind of interesting. Mm-hmm. Um, uh... What about what did you think about Kanan this season? Dude, Kanan was a G to the end. Like that man, yeah. He was just handling business left, right, and center in every episode. Mhm. I I mean, I don't think there's much else to say. I mean, I I've always loved Kanan. You know, I loved his backstory like and just seeing him go out like this, like Kanan might be one of my top ten favorite Star Wars characters now. Mm-hmm. Like with just how he went out. Like there's I mean, I've already, you know, given my overall thoughts on Kanan, like um, you know, with how I thought, you know, of him in the previous seasons, and there's not really much else I can say about him with this season, other than that he's just a great character and he might um honestly maybe just behind Ahsoka, he might be Dave Filoni's best original character. I I would think so. If we're talking about Dave Filoni originals that are like amazing, yeah. Um, I might argue Sabine is up there as well. So I think Sabine, Ahsoka, Kanan are some of the best written characters we get. Yeah. Um, not to say that Ezra is not also really well written, but um, I think there's still a lot to Ezra's character we're not, we haven't gotten yet. Yeah. And speaking so, of Ezra, uh, go ahead, Riz. So I was going to ask you what you thought of Ezra. Yeah, I think um, I'm. I like you know how Ezra. I especially liked Ezra at his strongest when you know he has to keep on going without Kanan, like you know that because I, I always like those journeys. You know, like uh, where you know you've always had this person to look for guidance, and now you no longer have that person. I mean, it's kind of like you know I hate to bring up this other franchise, but like. You know, one of the reasons why I think Power Rangers in space is such a great season is because the previous seasons, they've always had Zordon and Demetria to look after them. But, you know, now in Power Rangers in space, these same characters don't have that mentor 
to help them through everything. That's where I think that they're strong and developed characters, if you get what I'm saying. So um, I think that Ezra was like at his best when he needed to do everything himself. And I really hope that we see more of him in Ahsoka because I'm not, I'm not sure how I feel about how he decided to go out with Thrawn at the end. I think that it was very brave, but I mean, I have issues with it. Like you brought it up. So I'm just going to have to see yeah. what happens in Ahsoka before I make my final judgment. Yeah. And that's where I'm at as well. Like Ezra is a really good character. I've met Taylor mm-hmm. Gray, the guy who voiced Ezra in this, TV mm-hmm. show. He is the coolest dude ever. I even interviewed him on the website years ago before this podcast even came to being. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I've always had nothing but respect for Ezra. I just, I've always struggled with that end scene with Ezra having to stay with Thrawn and the Pergils to go off like that. And also, trying to understand where they went. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I feel like... I feel like this might be silly to even bring up, but my memory of that scene from 2018 is way different than what actually ended up happening. And I find that hilarious. So, for whatever reason, my memory was... Thrawn and Ezra are locked in battle. Like, they're literally holding each other by the throat, battling. Mm -hmm. And that's when the Purgils decide to go into hyperdrive and take off. Yeah. Which would explain why Ezra couldn't get off the ship. But I was surprised in my second watch through that I had remembered it wrong. And I was remembering, man... It's still funny to me that the first time I watched it and after I thought for like a year or two, this is how it ended, but it didn't. I mean, I've had similar issues where, you know, I had a really good memory of something and then I rewatched. Okay, this is an infamous thing. I'm not going to mention it by name because I don't want to trigger a rant from Riz in our next <laughs> Doku Secret podcast. But there was a certain uh, Sentai that I watched way back when I was in college, and I got some of the I got some of these ideas based on things that I saw, and I liked it. And then we just recently I had to rewatch it for a podcast that we just did which i mean you guys can watch and you'll know that riz is not a huge fan of that one uh and i realized in hindsight that yeah nothing that i remember about this sentai being good actually happened so uh, but i'm not going to mention names because i don't want to trigger anything you've already triggered a memory but i but i will not retaliate because the next episode of Tokyo secrets is episode 100 yeah, that's right. <laughs> I will not I will not retaliate this time. You get one free pass and you've used it. Okay. Okay, cool. <laughs> okay. But yeah, I was I was just bringing that up to relate. So, I do want to bring up some behind the scenes info I just kind of came across yeah, with relation to Jason Sindula. So, Jason is actually inspired by the son of Leia and Han in the Star Wars Legends continuity. 
Like yeah. that name is from there. I didn't know that. Mm-hmm. Um, there's also Dave Filoni had been thinking about throughout the entire production of season four that he wanted to introduce Jason Sindula in the finale. And he had only told the head of the Lucasfilm story group about it. Uh, according to the article, Carrie Hart's the name of that person. And they were supportive of the character's introduction. And Filoni deliberately wanted Jason to be a tribute to Solo's kid because it's a very important character, apparently. Mm-hmm. And the funny part is uh, Vanessa Marcel, who played Hera, was mm-hmm. unaware that Hera was even pregnant with Jason when she recorded the final episode. And she only found it out during a fan screening later. Oh, Lord. Yeah. And then the other piece of information that I think answers a question we were asking earlier. When was Jason conceived? And according to Rebels writer Henry Gilroy, Jason may have been conceived during the episode Kindred. In the scene where Hera finds Kanan meditating out in the fields, only for that scene to be cut short with a time cut. Oh, okay. But that makes sense now. But nothing in the canon has confirmed it. So take it as you will that, that this could be the official explanation. Well, I'm going to take it like that. Yeah. Um,. Filoni also goes on to say he hadn't given much thought to where the character might go in the future. Um, many people at Lucas wanted to have um, more more Jason after. Um, yeah, he will appear he, in Ahsoka, apparently. Does he have abilities in the Force? Because his dad is a Jedi. Well, remember, Hera said he has my flight you know, like my passion for flying. And then, well, we all know who the dad is. Mm -hmm. So that makes me think, yeah, he has some force abilities as well. And he might be trained by Ahsoka or Luke in that, you know, new Jedi order being formed. Yeah. Uh, But I do like how they name him JC. Like, I, I haven't read much with Jason, like I, like um, I, I, I am planning to actually read the New Jedi Order series, which is where they're prominent characters. Uh, I don't know as much, like you know, maybe our friend John would know a little bit more about them than I do. But I do yeah. know that they're major characters, and they both go through. Like I do know kind of the basics of uh, Jason, Jaina, and Anakin Solo. So. Uh, but, yeah, they are important characters. I can give them that. And I'm glad that they paid tribute to one of them. Oh, yeah, no, definitely. Mm-hmm. Was there anything else to talk about? Um. Yes. So, one other interesting bit. So, going back to the scene on the world within world, or what is it called? Crap, I'm getting tongue-tied. Uh, a world between worlds. Mm-hmm. The part when Ahsoka and Ezra escape Palpatine, Ezra goes back to where we see him, 
Ahsoka hops through the portal. Now, I haven't seen a very good um, explanation to Ahsoka's exit in that scene. And so I'm left wondering which of my two ideas makes the most sense to you. When Ahsoka jumped through that door, did Ahsoka jump back to Malachor at the same time, plus or minus a few days, of when everything went down on Malachor? Or does she time skip to post-Return of the Jedi and that's when she comes back into the the storyline and the flow. I would say maybe she jumps into the post-Return of a Jedi to get back in the flow, just because I feel like that makes a little bit more sense. Yeah, because if Ahsoka had come back, you and I both know that she knows about that he's Anakin now. And she yeah. would have done everything in her power to stop him. Mm-hmm. So that's my hope that when we get to Ahsoka, they have her appear after the events to return to the Jedi. And that's why she wasn't there to help Ezra um, in the final finale and why she wasn't there for any of the original trilogy. Yeah. And maybe she, uh, I mean, she would have had to have met Luke at some point, I guess. Maybe she met him shortly after Anakin's death. Because she and Luke apparently appear to know each other a little bit when she meets with Luke in Book of Boba Fett. I I have a fan theory on that. Mm -hmm. That might be a prevalent fan theory. But my fan theory is... When Ahsoka came back after a return to the Jedi, Anakin's Force Ghost appeared to her at some point and mm-hmm. t- filled her in on Luke and what happened. And she went out to seek him and help him if she could. That, I believe that. I think that's the most logical explanation to me anyway. Hmm. I mean, I don't think that she really helped him in the Force that much because the book I'm reading is, uh, you know, kind of establishes that Luke was that all of Luke's training in the Force goes off of what he learned from Obi Wan and Yoda, and mostly he was self trained. Otherwise, I think I think it makes more sense to say it like this. I think Obi Wan and Yoda gave him the Jedi Knight training wheels, right? Yeah. But I think everything else after is 100% him and his raw talent in the Force. Mm-hmm. Now, this isn't truly on topic because I would like to dedicate a podcast to this topic later, but do you think in a nutshell that Luke is stronger than Anakin prior to becoming Vader. And by stronger, and by stronger, I want to, I want to throw in a caveat. 
I mean, more attuned and more powerful in the force. Raw talent. I think in terms of raw, possibly that might be it. That that'll be a good subject for another podcast. I I definitely think it's Anakin, but we're gonna have to hold that until another podcast. I might even. Okay. I feel like John's listening to this, and when he does, he'll hear my question of, "Hey, John, do you want to join us for that discussion?" Because I feel like you have a lot of here. <laughs> yeah, that that'd be a fun discussion to have with him. <laughs> I think that'd be a really fun topic, and we need to do. Yeah. It. Um, the only other thing I can think of is that, uh, like, you know, in relation to Ahsoka, like everybody's been doing all this fan art of seeing like Ahsoka and Luke having a thing for each other. Which no, I mean, no, no, no. I can't do that. Nope. Here's the problem: Ahsoka's a teenager when Luke is born. <laughs> so, if not a, if not like at least legally, if we're gonna go by like you know our timeline here in the real world, legally allowed to drink by the time Luke is born, for lack of a better look, age difference. They're family friends. They have a shared history. They're going to bond over that. Yeah. It's okay for a guy and a lady to have a familiar connection without it being anything more than that. Yeah. So those y'all in the fandom who are trying to push for an Ahsoka Luke pairing, get your mind out the sip gutter. <laughs> but, but I will say I'm cool with Luke having a romantic pairing because he did in Legends. So Only if it's Marriage get- Aid. Oh, okay, good. You know who Mara Jade is. Good, good. Is that how you say it? Ma- Mara Jade. Oh, I've been saying Mara. Well, same difference. <laughs> no, I know. But, I know. Uh, I don't. I know about her. I've read quite a bit about her on yeah. on Wikipedia in the past. But yeah, we've kind of drifted a little bit off subject. Like, what would we say is our uh, our final? Like, you know, just a final grade on a uh, Rebel season four. So I know yours is an eight, from what you said earlier. Yeah, uh, but I, but I mean, uh, just to get mine out of the way, it's good. It's not it, and I'm gonna give a similar thing when we do Clone Wars and we talk about season six. I don't think this is bad. I'm glad that I watched it, but yeah, it there's a lot of bit pieces that are underwhelming and. When I compare it to how heavy and just overall, for lack of a better term, perfect its predecessor was, this just is a. I can't help but just feel a little disappointed, if that makes sense. Now, the answer I give here, from my very bad memory of season six of Clone Wars, will be the same answer I give you there. Mm-hmm. Season four of Rebels sets up something bigger than itself. Season three culminates in all those thematics we talked about already, right? Like, mm-hmm. but season four, we have some neat thematics that I'm going to bring up real quick. Nothing too ground soldering here, but we see Ezra go from Padawan to Jedi Knight. Now, he's not officially knighted by the Force. Right. But he definitely, by this point, has earned the rank of Jedi Knight. 
So his final test to show that he is worthy of being a Jedi Knight is Kanan's death and how he handled it. And how he didn't go and save Kanan from, you know, everything. Like, yeah. he, he understood the Force. He got in tune with it. Ahsoka helped him, but he still made that final conclusion on his own, and he agreed with her. That's huge. But, all of that to say, season four was a transitionary season to bring us to the next storyline. Mm-hmm. The next storyline being very being very like very depending on what you want to talk about this leads directly to rogue one this leads to ahsoka and this has impacts on the original trilogy in a way um so there's a lot of things going on here that set up other stories or connect to other stories at the very least And just like with the Clone Wars Season 6, you know, that set up a lot of the stuff that we see in the Bad Bats. And it also explains a lot more about Order 66, I feel like. Yep. So these are all transitionary things. You need this context to understand the next thing. And that's, that's kind of the beauty, in my opinion, of Star Wars, is that... Everything ends up being one big, long, cohesive story. Like, I've I've attempted, and I'm going to re-attempt it in the future. So, I've tried to watch episode one, episode two, the entire Clone Wars, <laughs> episode three, um alongside season seven of clone wars right um yeah rebels um i've tried so i got all the way through rebels and i think i watched the han solo movie and yeah i watched rogue one i was about to start the original trilogy then i moved and i never completed it but my game plan was to go from the original trilogy into resistance the cartoon that I'd never seen. I still haven't seen. Yeah. And then from there, going to Mando and then hit the sequel trilogy. Because if you watched it all in chronological order with everything tied in, you get a very interesting epic saga. Um, and it's not just the Skywalker family at this point. The Skywalkers are a big part of it. But there's a lot of other characters who deserve a lot of love and respect. Kanan, Ezra, Ahsoka, um, Mace Windu. You know, a lot of these characters that we get, they have very big parts in the franchise. And they have their own stories and their own views and their own stuff. Hell, Grogu and Mando as well. Yeah. So I, I just like... If, if if I were to give the explanation for what it is about Star Wars that draws me in so completely, it's the completeness of the story and the fact that, you know, Lucas, Disney, and all the others, they're building up 
and filling in all the gaps that we've been asking about. And even creating new things that we didn't expect. Like I had never thought to even think about a Mandalorian type of story, like a TV show. But they did it. And it it yeah. worked out really, really freaking well. But all that to say, I think I'm going to land on an 8.5 for this season. And I think that's fair. Yeah. Now, what I... And I, I can say this definitively because, you know, I've, I've seen Clone Wars all the way through and I know how I feel about Clone Wars, even if I do rewatch it. Would I say that this is better than Clone Wars? I, I don't think I could say that. Like, I think there's like, I think this is a close second to Clone Wars. Like, I think this is Clone Wars is great, but not quite as good a little brother. I guess you could say like I, but you know, it, it's still, I do think like, I don't know, like some people say that this is better than Clone Wars, you know, Star Wars explained has this ranked in his top 10 uh, best Star Wars uh, related like things ever. Like, you know, you put books, movies, TV shows, all he has this in his top 10. I don't think he has Clone Wars in this top 10. So I think Star Wars explained thinks This is better than Clone Wars. I, I probably prefer Clone Wars just because I have a little bit more of like, uh, like I resonate a lot more with the prequel era characters, but that isn't, but I would still probably put this, like if I'm doing the, my own thing with like what Star Wars Explained did, like my top 10 favorite, like a uh, Star Wars uh, contents ever, I would put Clone Wars in the top five. Rebels is in the top 10, maybe bottom of top 10, but it's still in the top 10. Yeah. If that makes sense. I, I'm going to table my answer to that until after Ahsoka. Okay. Like I said, season four is a transitionary to the next part of the story. And in my opinion, Sabine looking for Ezra and Ahsoka helping her is season five and they've already said this is season five so and if ahsoka blows me away then maybe this will be better than clone wars so it this really all leads to ahsoka and that's that's the only way i can answer your question is mm-hmm. in october I, I i cannot tell you until october i think yeah but uh, i i just thought that we see timora morrison play rex in live action dude yeah i mean come on guys i mean Come on, Lucasfilm. I mean, you just showed him in Book of Boba Fett. He's literally bald, just like Rex. You can literally have him play Rex and not have to have him do anything weird with his hair or anything. Yeah, well, we'll see. <laughs> I, I kind of yeah, well, don't know if Rex could even live that much more. Because I they mean, do we'll have see. that accelerated lifespan, you know? Yeah, I know. So, I don't know. Like, you know... Going back to that topic from earlier about Rex on the Battle of Endor, I I like the idea that it's there and it's kind of sort of canonized by Filoni. But also, my man, he's going to be getting up there in the age by that point. Well, yeah, but you have to under, but like... I, I know it's only uh, like four or five years later, you know? Or like... Yeah, and Rex isn't going to go from... 
I I don't think Rex is going to be a go going from a guy who's in enough shape to like go in guns a blazing on Lothal, and then five years later he's just completely. Oh no, he's down. not completely set down, but he's not in his prime. Like his prime is deteriorating more every day. So I would imagine, you know, if Rex were to ever come back into Soka, mm-hmm. he would still be a warrior, but he'd be kind of frail. Yeah. But hopefully we'll see we'll get some closure with him in a in Ahsoka too. Well, we have to. Because mm-hmm. we're getting Anakin at some point, somehow. I hope uh, he- when I see that when I see that my eyes are gonna be melting from crying like that. Dude, all I want is for Anakin to be a force ghost and talk to Ahsoka. That's all I want. Okay. If I get a flashback scene hating Christensen's Anakin talking with Ahsoka, that would be great. I'd be okay with that, but I want Forest Ghost Anakin talking to Ahsoka in the present timeline. Yeah, I know. I mean, it would still be perfect. Like, okay, I have nothing against Rosaria Dawson. She's a great actress. This would be completely perfect if we had Ashley Erickson playing... Uh, Eccleston. Playing um, Eccleston, sorry. Uh, if she was playing Ahsoka. But, I mean, but I like Rosaria Dawson. So, I mean... Oh, I'll, yeah. I'll Rosario's a great, char- a great person, I think. She's good for the role. Yeah. And I mean, I see her taking all these photos with Hayden Christensen, where they're pretty affectionate with each other. So yeah, yeah, yeah. Please don't tease. Please don't tease us with that. Just give us the Anakin stuff. Yeah, we need we need like a proper Anakin Ahsoka moment. Like it's been building up for way too long, man. Yeah, like, like I was hoping to get a flashback in Kenobi where we get Ewan McGregor, Rosario Dawson, and Hayden Christensen talking, and we didn't. Which really disappointed me, and I'm not trying to say anything bad about Kenobi. I actually like that show, but we're going to talk that about it one day. Really disappointing. Yeah, yeah. I have a lot of opinions there as well. That, I, from what I'm understanding now, looking at the fandom, I don't. I'm in a minority on that. I like King Kenobi. Yeah, I like Kenobi, and a lot of the yeah, fandom. So a lot of the fandom hates it. I, they, they seem to be split. I, th- I think this is just another one of those cases where the toxic fans are a bit more vocal than. Yeah, I've been on Reddit and it's been pretty, pretty. Yeah, they've been pretty vocal lately. Yeah, like the last three days, I've seen a different thread spawn up about Kenobi being terrible. Mm-hmm. So, but anyway, what is, what is the next show that uh, we were um, just to clarify? What is the next thing we're going to be looking at? Well. I think episode one of Ahsoka and episode two of Ahsoka next week. Yeah. Um, we're going to record at some point in the next couple of weeks the Thrawn book. Uh, just depending on how quickly I can go back and read it, because yeah, that'll that that'll be the limiting factor when we can read it. Now and we want to cover Clone Wars. Um, I want to try and get us back to the original trilogy. <laughs> Okay, um, but I do want to. I do want to do two book reviews before the original trilogy. I want to do Thrawn and I want to do Ahsoka, and I'll be fine with that. So, the I don't know how we're gonna do the schedule for the book reviews, given this podcast will be published later this week on the eighteenth, and then I think on the twenty fifth. We'll be doing our review on episode one and two of Ahsoka, and then every week after on that Friday will be the next episode of Ahsoka. 
So maybe we'll do like an episode in the middle of the week at some point on yeah. the books, or maybe we'll hold it off until the end. Nate and I will discuss that and, you know, we'll let you guys know when we figure it out. But yep. definitely on the horizon, we want to review both those books and then long-term plan, original trilogy, and then from there, we're going to figure out what we're going to do next. I have an idea in mind, but definitely Nate and I need to talk about it more. Yep. But this wraps up our uh, review series of Rebels. Uh, it, it was very fun. You know, this being our first big thing on the Jedi Squadron podcast, you know, I I hadn't seen Rebels all the way through, so it was very fun, you know, watching this for the first time. And I'll probably rewatch Rebels again, and I'll probably like it a little bit more, especially if I end up in if I end up getting blown away from Ahsoka. Uh, I mean, I, I can finally say it. It's about damn time you finished Rebels. Yeah, I know. <laughs> I know. I know. <laughs> But uh, with that said, uh, we thank you guys so much for taking the time to uh, listen to our podcast. Uh, if you're watching this on YouTube, be sure to leave any comments down below with, uh, you know, something you'd like for us to review. You know, if you uh, have a novel review that you want me to review and I've watched and I've already read it, I'll immediately review it and I'll make, um, you know, reviewing anything that I haven't read, like, you know, a top priority, like I'll try to get it read. Um, you know, leave us your comments down below with your thoughts on Rebels. And same with uh, like Apple Podcasts and Spotify reviews. Yeah. Definitely leave any feedback there on what you'd want us to cover next or any thoughts or insights. Um, we do want to read all that stuff out on the podcast here as we get it. Yeah. So, yeah, definitely, definitely let us know what you guys are thinking. And remember to also... Leave us that good old five-star review or whatever rating you think we deserve on Spotify, Apple iTunes, or mm -hmm. wherever else you get your podcast needs. Nate, close it up. Yeah, and we'll see you guys next time when we uh, when we take a look at the first two episodes of Ahsoka. We're really looking forward to that. But until that time, you guys stay safe. We love you, and may the Force be with you.